Welcome to Sojourn. Uh, again, just want to welcome you, especially if this is your first time here. My name is Justin, I'm the pastor here at Sojourn. And uh, if this is just, if it's your first time, I'd love to meet you after the service. Or if maybe you've been here for a few weeks and I haven't gotten to say hello to you yet, I'd uh, love to be able to, to do that today. So please come and say uh, hello at some point. Um, as we gather together this morning, we're going to be back in the book of Matthew this morning, and we always preach from the scriptures here, and so if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? We've got a couple of guys uh, that are going to bring those around. We'd love for you to actually have God's Word in your hand, and if you don't actually own a copy of the scriptures, please feel free to take that home. Um, that's our gift to you. We want you to be able to have God's Word, not only here on a Sunday morning, uh, but throughout the week as well. Uh, so we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 5 this morning, so you can go ahead and start to flip there, um, but as we, but right before we begin our time, let me just go to the Lord in prayer uh, for us. So would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning. I come before you this morning. Uh, this has been an exhausting week. And so Lord, I pray um, for all of us, depending on what our week was like, maybe it was an exhausting week, maybe it was restful for some of us, but however we're coming here this morning, I pray that you would strengthen our minds and our hearts uh, to receive your word this morning. Uh, we believe that the scriptures are your word, Father, and so we want to receive that this morning, but help us to do that. Clear out the things that might be distracting to us today. Wake us up if we need to be woken up. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be engaged and that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word for us today that we might understand it better we might know you more and walk in faithfulness in our life as your people. So Lord, no matter where we're at, if we're feeling close to you this morning, maybe some of us here are not even sure if you're real. I pray that you'd meet us in this time. And so we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. This past Sunday, uh, last week, a week ago today, my oldest son, Owen, turned six. And uh, that's crazy uh, that he is six years old. I mean, he has flown by. We've got pictures of him around our house, obviously, when he was younger. It's just amazing to me that he is six years old already. And it's even a little bit crazier for us because uh, back in 2008, uh, a doctor told us that we had about a 1% chance of getting pregnant on our own, having biological kids on our own. And, um, and now we have three of them, and one of them six. And so that's just crazy to me and my family uh, to see that happen. But each of my kids are, are different. Obviously, they're not all alike. We know that. We're all individuals, and so we have our own ways of doing things. And uh, for instance, Owen, uh, when he was little, he doesn't, he's six now, when he was little, uh, had a pacifier. We call it a pass in our house. Uh, it's for short, not passy, just pass. Uh, but Owen had one of those when he was little. Uh, my, my middle son, Isaac, uh, didn't have a pacifier or suck his thumb. And my daughter, Emery, who is eight months old, uh, right now is doing both. So she's, she's got the pass sometimes. She sucks her thumb sometimes. She's just trying to maybe figure it out. Uh, Owen uh, also had a blanket. Uh, it wasn't really a blanket, though. It's this thing called a sleep sack. So if you're a, a mom or dad, you probably know what I'm talking about. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, it's basically uh, like a sleeping bag that you wrap around your kid and zip up. And some of you are probably like, man, that sounds pretty sweet. Love one of those. It's got armholes and everything. It's really awesome. Um, but he kind of got attached to that, and so he kind of uses it as a blanket now. It's kind of a comfort thing for him as he's grown up. Uh, my son Isaac now is just kind of getting attached to a blanket, and Emery, it's kind of too soon 
uh, to tell with her. But Owen, when he was little, uh, was in Target one day with Amy, and, and they were walking around Target, and he heard a kid crying off in the distance. And he could hear this kid in the store crying. And, and it was interesting to see his thought process. He heard the kid crying and, and looked with a concerned face at Amy and just said, because he couldn't speak really well, just said, sack, pass. You see, it was so interesting, right? At that little young age, he, he heard someone who was sad or grieving and he thought comfort. Now, I don't think he thought deeply about it. But, but even in his, his youthful mind at that point, he could relate something and say, someone's sad, and when I'm sad, what I want is my sack and my pass, and that must be what this person wants too. It's what they need also, and so he recommended the solution for this child that was crying. See, we all experience sadness and grief all throughout life. That's a given. There's not a single person in this room, it doesn't matter how old you are, that at some point in your life already, you haven't experienced something that's made you sad or caused grief in your life. And at the same time, because of that, all of us seek to find comfort from that sadness and grief in different ways. We may not have a pass or a blanket now as adults, maybe, uh, but we do tend to turn to something. So the question isn't what do you, if you turn to something, but what is it for you? What do you seek to find comfort in when you're in a moment or a time of sadness? What do we do with those emotions like sadness and grief? As, as Christ followers, as people who follow Jesus, what do we do with things like sadness and grief in our life? Well, my hope today is that whether you know and follow Christ or you don't even know God exists, you're not sure about that, you're just checking out this whole Jesus thing. Uh, my, my hope is, is that God will use this time in his word this morning as we talk about his kingdom to draw you to himself in a powerful way today. My, my hope is, is that you and I will come close to our comforting king this morning. And so we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 5, and may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. So if you have your Bible open there, we're going to be looking at just really one verse, verse 4, but I'm going to read from verse, starting in verse 1 through verse 4. It was we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus is preaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This morning, though, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. This is what Matthew records for us. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Last week, as we began to talk through what was going on here and what Jesus is talking about, we talked about the kingdom of God, and we said the kingdom of God is wherever the king is present and ruling. And you are a part of the kingdom of God if you follow the king. If you follow Jesus, then you are a part of his kingdom. And what Jesus teaches us here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is not just, it's not even good advice. It's not something that's a suggestion for us. This is good news to us. Jesus is inviting us to follow him in the fullness of his kingdom. Follow him in all parts of our life. In these first few verses, what's often referred to or called the Beatitudes, is kind of a a preamble, an introduction to what life is in the kingdom, what the nature of the kingdom of God really is like. And so we get to our text today, verse 4, and we read, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Now, we could read this text and we could think, okay, yeah, that's simple, right? I get it. If I'm mourning, then comfort comes along with that, right? It's as simple as sack and pass, right? We, we hear sadness, we hear mourning, we think, well, there's an easy solution. God's telling us that we're going to be comforted. But my hope is this morning that we'll slow down a bit. We'll slow down a bit, we'll, we'll sit and we'll soak in this a little bit longer because it's trying to understand there has to be some implication for us in life, both for the here and now and for the future as Jesus talks about his kingdom. See, I think we need to understand something as we walk through this sermon, this teaching of Jesus. And so I want to help us understand something this morning that will help us throughout this whole series as we walk through all that Jesus is teaching us here. And it's that Jesus both confronts us and gives us hope on a bunch of different levels in our life. This isn't just a personal thing. It has more implications than that. What Jesus is teaching us has implications on a personal level, on a communal level, on a societal level, and on a cosmic level. And all of us relate in all four of those ways. We're all individuals, right? I mean, you're your own person. You're your own person. It's not hard for you to understand that, to figure that out. And the fact of the matter is we live in one of the most individualistic cultures that has ever existed on the face of the earth. Almost everything in our culture right now is geared towards you as an individual. What's good for you? What's going to make you happy? What's going to comfort you? Advertising, everything is geared towards the individual. So at a base level, we could say in God's kingdom, God's kingdom is made up of individuals. But if Jesus is king and we are a part of his kingdom, then we are individuals who are a part of a larger community of kingdom people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter helps us understand this. He says in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, but you, and he's talking you plural, right? We can read that and we think you, that must just mean me individual. That's not what Peter's saying. He's saying, but you, or you all, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are brought together as kingdom people under the king. But see, the reality for life for us is that we live in the here and now. We live in the here and now as kingdom people, which means that we exist in a society and a culture as foreigners and exiles. Fairfax is not the kingdom of God. And so there's this tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom, We talked about that a bit last week. And let me just say, if you weren't here last week, if you didn't get to listen to the sermon, I'd encourage you to go do that just because it sets up a bit of what we're going to be talking about over these next few months. But, But we talked about the reality, the fact that Jesus has come, he is ruling, and he will come again. And as he comes again, he'll bring the fullness of his kingdom to fruition. But now we find ourselves living in this place of tension. There's parts of the kingdom, but not the fullness of the kingdom here. And if our faith is in Christ, if we're following Christ as king, then our citizenship is in his kingdom now. It's not in the kingdoms of this world. Peter, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, calls us sojourners. We're, we're passing through. We're on a journey. This isn't our home. And so it's a part of our kingdom reality and identity to be sojourners. And so what that means is we have to learn what it looks like to live as kingdom people, following Jesus as king in a place, in a culture, and society that does not do the same. And that's where this tension arises. 
So as individuals who are part of a community of kingdom people who find themselves living now in a society as sojourners, we also relate to the cosmos. We relate to the world around us. We are creatures in a creation created by a creator. We eat, we sleep, we experience winter in the middle of spring, right? We have seasons going on around us that we experience just the physical world of creation. We interact with it. And so I say all that because if we're going to understand and wrestle with what Jesus is saying to us, then we need to look through this through these different lenses, these, these different relational levels to be able to actually apply what Jesus is talking about here. Personal, communal, societal, cosmic, we need to look through that. Now some of you here this morning are not followers of Jesus. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian, and I'm glad you're here this morning, but, but I want you to understand as well that you relate on all of these levels also. You're an individual. You are a part of a kingdom. You may not be a part of Jesus's kingdom, but you're a part of a kingdom. No matter what the world teaches you or tells you, you're not autonomous to yourself. You're a part of a kingdom. The Bible calls it the kingdom of darkness. You're a part of society and a culture that tells you who to be and what to do. And you live in and relate to the physical world around you. And so if you're not a follower of Christ, what I, what I hope that you see, not only today, but throughout this series, if you stick around with us, and let me just invite you to do that, to, to stick around with us as we walk through this sermon, this teaching of Jesus, is that Jesus' inverted kingdom offers you and gives you something that nothing and no one else can. So we get to our text today. This one simple verse, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we have to ask this question then, what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? And what does it, ha- what does it have to do with me as I live and relate in these four different ways? Last week, we saw that word blessed, and we said, man, this isn't just about uh, feelings, kind of fleeting emotions. It's about our state of well-being in relationship to God. So right away, we kind of see this interesting paradox. If we take the word happy and exchange that for the word blessed, and I don't mean happy in the fleeting emotional sense. I mean kind of that that sense of joy, of well-being, of happiness in the presence of God. What Jesus is saying to us is happy are those who are not happy. That seems strange, right? Happy are those who are not happy. So what does Jesus really mean when he says those who mourn? Well, to start, we can try and define what the word mourn or mourning really means. Mourning can be defined at a basic level as to be sad or grieved or lament. It's more than disappointment. Right? We can think mourning, we can hear sad and say, well, I'm, I'm, I mourn when the Redskins don't make the playoffs. I mourn when the grocery store is out of my favorite food. But that's not real mourning. We can be sad. We can think, oh, I'm sad about that. But but biblical mourning is deeper than that. It's more full-orbed than that. It takes all the the, the aspects of the circumstances you're in, your thoughts and your feelings, just kind of holistically as a person. There's a sadness there. There's a lamenting going on. So Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. What are we mourning over? What is Jesus referring to? Is it just when things don't go our way? Well, if we go back to those four ways that we relate, we see what those who mourn, mourn over. We live, again, in this physical world, and it isn't difficult for us to see the brokenness amidst the beauty of the world we live in. What I mean by that is we can look at something like a lion and see a lion as being beautiful and majestic, who at the very same time would not hesitate for a second to kill us. So it's beautiful, and there's brokenness to that. 
We see it in a fire that can warm you and mesmerize you at the very same time, can cause great destruction. We see it in natural disasters like earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes. And we see it and experience it in the beauty and the amazing reality of the human body at the very same time can and will betray us over time as it breaks down, maybe over the years or more rapidly due to disease. I mean, isn't it interesting that in this massive world, this massive universe that God has created, where we are so infantile and small, this massive universe that we haven't even finished exploring, that the cosmic brokenness that exists often hits so close to home for us. It isn't just out there. It doesn't just, doesn't just affect other people. Cosmic brokenness affects you. It affects people in this church, in this community. There are people in our church that have experienced miscarriages. There are people in our community who have suffered from cancer or other diseases. There are people in our community who haven't been able to get pregnant. And there's something good about that. Desire. That desire is not good. Don't let anybody ever tell you that desiring to have children, if that's you this morning, that that's not a good desire. And you can mourn over that. When Amy and I received that news in October of 2008, we mourned the reality that something good that God told us was good didn't seem like it was going to be a possibility. We mourn over cosmic brokenness. And when we look at the cosmos, when we look at the created world, there's this aspect of mourning that should arise within us because we're reminded this is not the way it's supposed to be. It's broken. It needs redemption. We all live in society and culture as well. I mean, most of us here this morning live in the D.C. metro area, and there's a lot of great things about this area, this culture that we live in. There's the arts. We can go to plays and movies. There's concerts to go to. Every big band or musician or artist kind of comes through this area, and we have the ability to go check out those talents there's sports, there's the city to explore with its museums and art and, and, and monuments and all of those kinds of things. There's great opportunities we have just in this area for great education. People move here to go to the schools here, let alone the universities that are all around us. There's great medical care at our fingertips. There's great food and drink to partake of. There's great freedoms in our society. We have the freedom of speech. We have the right to vote. We have the freedom to worship however we want to and whomever we want to. Don't let it be lost on you this morning that you're sitting in a public school this morning and we're talking about Jesus. There's many countries and places we don't have that right or ability to do that. So those are good things. We can see that. But at the very same time, when we look a little closer, it isn't hard for us to recognize that society also is broken. There's greed, self and selfishness, broken homes, broken marriages, sexual perversion and dysfunction, corruption of power, abortion, abuse, addiction, human trafficking happening right here in this county, rape, theft, murder. It isn't difficult for us to see that. Some of you today have experienced those things firsthand. And even mentioning them, you feel emotion rising up within you. See, when we look at society, there's an aspect of mourning that arises within us because we're reminded of the fact that it isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's broken and it needs redemption. Communally, we see the same kinds of things. We are brought together 
through Christ. The local church is made up of kingdom people. The church isn't the kingdom of God, but the church is made up of kingdom people who reflect the kingdom of God. And we're a community that's founded and formed and shaped by the gospel, the good news that brings salvation and transformation, that through Christ's perfect life, through his sacrificial death, and through his amazing resurrection, brings this hope about for us. It brings us together. And as kingdom people, we're called to love one another. We're called to be gracious to one another. We're called to be kind to one another. We're called to forgive one another and to bear with one another and to build each other up as God's people. And at Sojourn Church, we've seen this and we've experienced it and we can praise God for that. But at the very same time, we know that sin still remains amongst, among us in our community. There are fractured relationships, division, envy, gossip, slander, failings in leadership, failings in membership, looking out for me instead of looking out for us, Struggles that we all have to see us use our lives and our resources to advance the kingdom of Jesus instead of our own kingdoms. And that should cause us to mourn the realization of the ideal. We're confronted with the reality that the ideal picture of community that we long for, that we desire, isn't quite here. It's not the reality we find ourselves in. The reality we find ourselves on a communal level is that we're a bunch of messy people still in process. So when we look at our very own community, there's an aspect of mourning that rises up within us because we're reminded that at times, that at times, this is not the way it's supposed to be. There's brokenness. It's in need of redemption. And then there's our personal aspect. If we are in Christ, we have hope this morning. If we're in Christ, we have hope. We've been united to Jesus, and we are united to Jesus right now. Our identity has changed We're sons and daughters of the living God now. We are his now. And we can't lose that. We can't change that. It's secure in Jesus. And we can praise God for that this morning. Maybe some of you, that's all you need to hear this morning. You need to be reminded of that today, that if you are in Christ, that is secure lockdown for you. It isn't going to change. The Father cherishes you and he loves you as his son or his daughter. But we also know that sin still remains within us. Now, if we're united to Jesus, it's sin. the sin that remains is sin that God is working out of us. He's transforming us. He's changing us. If you don't know Christ, if you're not united to Jesus, then the scripture says you're still enslaved to that sin. You're still captive to it. So when we look at ourselves, there's an aspect of mourning that arises because we're reminded that we are not the way that we're supposed to be. We haven't fully been remade into the image of Jesus yet. There's still brokenness that remains in our own personal lives. We need redemption because God is not done with us yet. See, when Jesus talks about mourning, he's talking about mourning over the brokenness of this world, mourning over the brokenness in the lives of others, and mourning over the brokenness in your own life. So really, if we want to define what biblical mourning is, we could just simply say it's brokenness over brokenness. Brokenness, genuine brokenness over brokenness. And the only way that that brokenness is going to come about is if we look at the world through a kingdom lens. Through a kingdom lens. 
I mean, maybe some of you, you've, you've been with a friend in the car before, and you're driving down the road, and they're, they're squinting to try and see the road signs up ahead. Like, hey, bro, I think you need some glasses. No, no, man, this is good. This is just how it is. You know, and you're like, no, I really think you need to go get your eyes checked out. Maybe that's some of you this morning. But, but we, we live life that way sometimes, right? Like, we, we, dri- we drive through life, we walk through life, we live life with just kind of blurred vision. And we think that's normal. But when we put kingdom lenses on, all of a sudden things become very clear to us. And so that's what Jesus is doing. That's what I'm trying to do for us this morning, walking through these different levels. Say, put on those kingdom lenses, look at life through these lenses of the kingdom, and see there needs to be brokenness over the brokenness of this world. What we see Jesus telling us this morning in this verse, verse 4, is that mourning is normal for kingdom people. It's normal for kingdom people. It's a part of the life of God's kingdom people because God's kingdom people live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Jesus is king, but the fullness of his kingdom hasn't arrived yet. It's breaking into a world, but a world that's still ruled by sin and death and the enemy. I think one of the best examples that we can see from God's word that mourning is normal for God's people is in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is 150 chapters. It's really 150 uh, unique songs and poems, both written on a personal kind of devotional level to God, but also in a corporate sense for God's people to to sing and walk through these psalms together. So there's 150. This is the longest book in the scriptures as a songbook. 60, at least 60, maybe a few more than that can be classified as psalms of lament. 60. Like that's almost half that book it's about mourning, about, about the sadness and the grief that we experience in this world. This morning, I just want to help us understand the reality of the emotions that the, psalm ha- the psalms have. I want to read a psalm to you. It's one of the, probably the most difficult psalms in the whole book. It's Psalm 88. So if you have your Bible, just go, flip over to Psalm 88. Psalms is kind of right smack in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 88 The psalmist writes, just listen to the emotion of this and and catch the fact that in this psalm, there's no resolution. There's no resolution. The psalmist says this, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. 
Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Now what does Psalm 88 tell us about brokenness and about our God? It tells us it's normal. It tells us it's normal and it tells us that we have a king who cares and who hears. See, we can look through this and we can forget this is God's word to us. So when we read a psalm like Psalm 88 or any of the other 60 plus psalms that are psalms of lament, what that tells us is that we can take these things before the Lord and he cares. It's normal. Do you ever wrestle with your emotions like you can't go to God and actually be real with him? Then Psalm 88 says go to him when you feel distant from him. Go to him when you're suffering. See, when we mourn in the way that Jesus means, it produces both grief and longing, and you see that in Psalm 88. It produces a a godly grief. 2 Corinthians talks about godly grief. It produces a, a godly grief because it causes us to be aware of reality and the fact that our lives in this world are not as they should be, and at the very same time, it produces longing, longing within us to be made new, longing to be comforted by and through the King in His kingdom. But here's the problem for many of us, maybe all of us, whether we're Christians or we're not Christians, is that we don't actually mourn. We don't actually mourn in the way that Jesus is talking about, in the way that Psalm 88 relates to us. And I think the reason for that is because we live in a culture and we live in a society that's hyped on happiness. It's hyped on happiness. And we'll do almost anything and everything to pursue and experience happiness and comfort, even if it isn't real. Even if it isn't real. When we're confronted with brokenness in our world or our lives, instead of actually sitting in that time and mourning that, instead of being broken over brokenness, we go the opposite direction. We run as far from that as we possibly can. We seek to overcome and find comfort in anything else in other ways. We numb and we medicate our pain through overeating and overdrinking and overworking and overextending ourselves and overentertaining ourselves. We, we can literally medicate our mourning away. We seek distraction and busyness and frenetic activity. We constantly look at our phones. Sit at a stoplight, got to look at your phone. There's three people in front of you at Starbucks, got to look at your phone. We're, we're distracted. We're so distracted. Instead of having those quiet moments, riding in your car, riding on the metro, sitting at home, we distract ourselves. For some of us, I think we can even use our extroverted personalities of spending time with people constantly to avoid actually walking in a place and path of mourning in our lives. We put up facades. We practice fakery. We don't want others to know that we aren't as happy as they are or at least they appear to be. And so we, we have real pain that we're walking through, real discomfort, real brokenness, real suffering in our lives, but we push that aside, we hide it, we cover it up. And social media and Sunday mornings at churches are two of the worst places for that. We see it on Instagram, everybody's happy and smiling. I can't let anybody know the reality of my life. But man, there's brokenness behind every picture. When you come here on Sunday morning, it's good to be joyful, but you can come in here and be broken as well. 
See, none of these things that we do, grasping for lasting comfort, will ultimately work because when we chase after those things, all we're doing is we're dressing up death. We're, causing it, we're calling it cozy and warm, but the reality is it's cold and it's dead and it's indifferent towards us. But here's something key that we have to get in all this. Real mourning requires us to slow down enough to actually feel. To have real mourning in your life, you have to slow down enough to actually feel. And I think part of the problem is when we actually do that, we don't, want, we don't know what to do with our emotions, with real emotions. God has given you emotions. He's given those to you. That's a part of who you are. To have emotions like sadness and and, and grief and mourning. Those are gifts from God to you. They're gifts from God to you because they help you to see and to process and experience the the world you live in. We all want to experience comfort in our lives, but real comfort, Jesus is saying, is only going to come through the path of real mourning. And most of us will do anything to circumvent that at all costs. One pastor and scholar said, there are such things as Christian tears and few of us ever weep them. There are such things as Christian tears and few of us ever weep them. See, when we encounter the world we live in and the community we find ourselves in, I think oftentimes we find it easier and are more comfortable with condemning the brokenness we see instead of weeping over it. Think about yourself, whether it's in this community or just as you see things around the world. Is it easier for you to condemn those things of brokenness or do you actually weep over it? See, I think the reason it's easier for us to do that, to not actually weep, is because we don't actually think that we're a contributing factor to the brokenness. But being someone who mourns is not about being a Debbie Downer, right? You're not that guy that goes in the party and people are like, man, I'm having a great time. You're like, yeah, but the world's jacked up. (laughs) Don't have anything to be happy about today. You're not supposed to be Eeyore in life. This isn't about, that's what Jesus is talking about here, right? But I think sometimes we can read this and be like, well, that's weird. Like, I got to dress up in all black now and like walk around just with my face downcast. No, what this is about is about having real emotions, about the reality of the broken world we live in, the broken lives we encounter, including our own. Not covering it up, not medicating, not numbing against it, not being distracted from it, but actually walking in it. So what do we do with this? What do we do with what Jesus is talking about here? See, when we actually acknowledge the reality of remaining brokenness, when we're actually broken over that brokenness, we can find comfort then through the king and his kingdom who has come and will come again. See, Jesus knows the reality of a broken world. He's walked in it. He, he's, he's lived in it. He's experienced it. And we can take those four things that we talked about and see how Jesus has experienced and seen that brokenness. He, he saw and experienced the brokenness of the cosmos, of creation. He healed many people of diseases. He calmed storms that almost cost the disciples their life. He's seen and experienced that brokenness. He's walked in it. He's seen and experienced the brokenness of society, of corrupt leaders, tax collectors who stole money from people. He's seen and experienced the brokenness of community. One of his very own disciples betrayed him. He's seen the brokenness caused by personal sin. Not his own, he had none. But he went to a cross for the sin of the world. Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. 
He wept over the city of Jerusalem, a people who were seeking comfort in other places, people, and things, and not in him before he walked the road to the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life in this broken world, and he went to the cross for a broken people. And even in the moment of his death, his followers were mourning the loss of the one they'd followed. But that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus rose again from the grave and sorrow turned to joy for his followers because he had defeated brokenness and death. And we know this morning that he will come again to end all of the brokenness that remains because he came the first time. Don't let that be lost on you. You're wondering, you're what, God, how long we can have confidence that Jesus will come again because he came the first time and he walked this road and he lived this life and he died on this cross and he rose again and he said to you and he said to me that he's going to his father's house to prepare a place for you. And that he'll come again to bring you home, to sit you down at his father's table, to dine with him and you'll be fully with him forever, restored, and completely comforted. Because the king has come then, There is both comfort, some comfort now, and ultimate comfort forever. And that's that tension we live in. The kingdom has come, but it's not here in full. It's partially here, but it's not yet complete. And so what that means for us this morning is we're not trying to preach a a prosperity gospel of health and wealth that says God wants to hook you up here. He wants to make your life better here. He just wants life to be easy for you here. Life is hard here. Because brokenness remains. But what this means is is there's comfort here and now, but it won't necessarily make something easier for you. It may not bring about full resolution or restoration for you. When one of my kids is hurt, they've fallen down, they've bumped their knee or or scraped their knee or they've bumped their head or something like that, they come crying. As their father who loves them, that wants to take away their pain, what do I do? I pick them up and I hold them and I hug them, I embrace them and I seek to wipe away their tears. But I don't take away the pain. It's my presence, my embrace that provide comfort for them. And there's something like that that relates to our comfort here and now. Now we know that God can take away our pain. So what does that mean for us in that moment then? It means that God is allowing that in our lives for some good purpose. So he wants to embrace us and draw us near. We're called to abide in Jesus and know that Jesus abides with us as well. James 4 says that as we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And he does this by and in the Holy Spirit. There's something interesting about this text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, is the word comfort, the root word in the original language for comfort is the same word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14, who he calls the comforter, the helper. What this means is is that the comforting work of the kingdom is a work of the comforting spirit sent by the comforting king. And the comforting king comforts us here and now by his Holy Spirit, and he does this primarily through his word and through his people. As we read the word of God, as we listen to the word of God preached, the spirit uses that to comfort us in our affliction. Psalm 88 is not the only book in the only chapter in the Bible. It's not the end of the story. I mean, the Psalms are great for this. They're great for this. In this season of my life, just walking through difficulty and struggle, the Psalms have been so precious to me. I'm reading them in a way that I've never really read them before, sensing the emotion, trying to walk in that emotion of mourning and grief and sadness over broken relationship and over my own sin. So I implore you, get in the Psalms. Read them. 
Don't just check them off. Read them. Sit in them. Pray through them. That God would meet you in that place. Let the Spirit comfort you and minister to you as you mourn through the living and active Word of God. Let it be a balm to your wounded heart and soul. Psalm 71 is an example, is a prayer we can pray. Catch what the psalmist says here. He says, you, he's speaking to God, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. God's word, the power of the spirit, is a way that he comforts you here and now. But the spirit also uses God's people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Verses 3 through 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't it interesting that those who suffer are often the ones that reach out to those who are suffering? Why is that? Well, because you can relate to pain. You can relate to difficulty. You can relate to discomfort. And you can provide the comfort you've received. Scripture calls us to bear one another's burdens. It calls us to weep with those who weep. So what does it look like to be comforters as God's kingdom people here and now? Well, first it starts with honesty about the brokenness of your own life. It starts with honesty and community about the brokenness of your life. And it is met with kingdom love. Brother, sister, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I will walk with you. And if I need to, I'll carry you. So let me ask you this morning, will you let King Jesus speak a word of comfort and peace into your life right now? Do you trust him to do that? Do you trust him? See, in the here and now, you might not be healed. You might not experience justice when someone wrongs you or hurts you. You might not get physical relief. But if you are God's child, through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if you're a part of the kingdom of God, you will be comforted. When Jesus comes again, he will come in the fullness of his kingdom, in the fullness of his presence. When he comes again, all that causes sorrow and sadness will be done away with. It has no place in the kingdom of God. There'll be no more darkness, no more sin, no more suffering. In the fullness of Jesus' kingdom, we will be close to Jesus. I talk about picking up my kids and literally wiping their tears off their faces. Jesus will wipe the tears off of your face. When we're in the king, we're in the kingdom with the king, your tears will be wiped away because creation will be renewed. Society will be transformed. The community of God's people, you and I will live in perfect harmony and peace with one another. And you, as God's redeemed child, will be fully restored and made completely brand new. All our sorrow will become joy when Jesus comes again. So, as sojourners and exiles then, we long for that to happen. It's right and it's good for us then to pray, come Lord Jesus, when we encounter brokenness in our world. Because we know that's the place and the time when full and lasting comfort will come. See, biblical mourning in view of the kingdom is a longing for full and complete restoration. And so now as God's kingdom people, we're called to hope, we're called to endure and help one another and point one another to Jesus. Draw near to him, knowing that at the very same time that he is sovereign, Lord, 
that his hand is over every aspect of our lives, he at the very same time has his arms spread to embrace us and bring us close. Maybe you've heard it said before, maybe you believe right now that Christianity is just a crutch for weak people. And my answer to that is absolutely. Absolutely it is. Because we're desperate. We can't live this life on our own. We're desperate for God's grace. But it's more than that. It's hope for despairing people. It's light for those in darkness. It's life for dead people. It's comfort for those who mourn. So do you need to pick that crutch up today? Jesus extends his hand to you this morning to pick you up, to dust you off, to, to help you, to care for you, and to carry you all the way home and make you brand new. Will you come to him this morning for that? One pastor has said, if you mourn the fallenness of your world rather than curse its difficulties, you know that grace has visited you. And he goes on to say, mourning is about something bigger than the fact that life is hard. Mourning grieves what sin has done to the cosmos and longs for the Redeemer to come and make his broken world new again. I think some of us here this morning need to walk in the way of mourning in order to actually experience the comfort of the King. So is that you this morning, Christ follower? Is that you this morning, friend, who's far from God right now? Mourn over the brokenness. Slow down enough to do that. But embrace and be embraced by the grace of Jesus in that. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our comfort now and forever. And to that we can say, amen, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. We're going to come to the table now to take communion. And we're going to eat the bread, which is a picture of Christ's body broken for us. And we're going to drink the cup, which is a picture of Christ's blood shed for us. And so as you come this morning, though, I don't want you to just come and you eat and you drink and you sit back down and you stand up and you sing. We do the rest of our service. I want you to pause and recognize that this meal is a gift of grace to you because even in this meal, Christ is present. Let, let this meal be a comfort to you that Jesus has come and he will come again. Let this meal remind you of what Jesus has done and what he is doing right now. We're going to sing a new song, uh, a new song that's new to Sojourn. It's actually an old hymn. It was written in the 1800s. And we're going to sing this, mor- this song this morning. Most of us are probably not familiar with it. Nathaniel picked it out for today, and it's called Abide With Me. And it was written by a man named Henry Light in the mid-1800s. And Henry Light was dying from tuberculosis when he wrote this song. Listen to verse 4. He writes this, Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, Lord, abide with me. Three weeks after finishing this song, he died. And he experienced the fullness of the comfort of the one that we're going to sing about this morning. So as you sing this song, allow it to impact your heart as it passes over your lips. And come close to your comfort and king today, knowing that he's come close to you. Sojourn, he's our only hope. He's our only hope. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I just ask you this morning not to come and take communion. And the reason for that is because this to you is just bread, it's just drink. 
It doesn't communicate anything to you if you haven't actually embraced Jesus or been embraced by Jesus yet. So take Christ this morning. Turn away from that which you're seeking comfort in and turn to Jesus today. And confess your sin before him. Ask him to save you. Ask him to comfort you. Ask him to restore you today. And if you have questions about what that means to really and truly know Christ, that's why this church is here. It's why this community is here. Come talk to me. Come talk to any of our other leaders. Come talk to the, or go talk to the friend that brought you here today. We want you to experience God's grace in Jesus today. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or head to the back and tear off a piece of bread and take a cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. God of all comfort, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would do that, that you would comfort us here and now. Whatever brokenness we're experiencing, whether it's personal or communal or in society or just the world around us, if we're suffering this morning, Father, I pray that you'd meet us and that you'd comfort us today. But allow us to to pause and mourn the reality of the brokenness. Lord, help us to be a people who are broken over brokenness. brokenness. But help us to be a people who take your word by the power of the Spirit, seek to encourage one another that you are our comforting King. And Lord, at the very same time, we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name this morning. Amen.